0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of this thing, joined as always tonight by Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, we
1: took a little bit of a hiatus. I'm glad you're back. How are you doing? I I exist again, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Exist again.
0: I like it. Um, joined also tonight by Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Max, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Alex. appreciate it. Absolutely. Joined also tonight for the first time by, um, I don't know how new, but it seems like a fairly new addition to the Royals Review staff, Jackson Bracken. Um, I don't know that I've ever met anybody whose first and last name get that close to rhyming. So congratulations for having that achievement, Jackson. Uh, thanks for joining the show.
2: Thank you. Glad to be on here. I've been listening
0: to you guys for a while. So Ryan O'Hearn. <laughs> Just dive right in. No, I, I saw him today. He tweeted out a gif. It was like, um, appreciate all the nice, all the nice comments everybody made, like high five. (laughs) It was just like, you know, like somebody needs to show Tyron Matthew that tweet. And it was like, this is how you engage with the fans, Tyron. (laughs) Like, you don't, don't take it too seriously. It's just fun. It's just Twitter. Um, even if people really are being hateful, they're, they're talking heads behind a computer screen. Like let's, Let's let it go a little bit. not everything has to be taken personally because I guarantee you Ryan O'Hearn got more slack yesterday than tyron matthew ha- has gotten with the chiefs um especially without the praise so I was glad to see him kind of joke about it this morning in all seriousness. I really don't know what the what the Royals are waiting for. I guess at this point you hope the the batted ball profile just catches up and uh, it, it's funny because the Royals are basically admitting like we have no better like like, and that's kind of the sad thing is like, we have nothing better to do with this roster spot than let Ryan O'Hearn keep it. And it's, it's, it's funny to me, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, that is a total indictment on the rest of your organization. If, if he is the, well, let's just see what happens because there's a lot of guys out there where you can throw some money at and well, let's just see what happens. Um, and, and Ryan O'Hearn is probably the least um, has the lowest ceiling of all of them.
1: And see, that's the thing to me right now is—is is you put it. What are they waiting for, or what are they waiting on? Or you said the word waiting, and that triggered in me that they're not waiting anymore. Right? They're actively keeping him on the roster. There, this is no longer a uh, well. We don't have to make a decision yet. They've made a decision, and it's to keep him. And listen, I don't think you're going to find a bigger Ryan O'Hearn apologist at Royals Review than me, and he, it's, he, it was past it's way past time for him to go. It was time for him to go probably in August, I, and I was, you know, okay, fine, they're waiting. They're just going to non-tender him, whatever, and then they tendered him. Jacob Junis couldn't even get a, a tender, but Ryan O'Hearn can. I do not understand it. And I get the bad at the ball profile thing. That's been my defense and a lot of times, but come on. It's just, it's not happening. When you see three years of it's not happening, it's not happening. He needs to, I, I, I feel like his best is the, even if the Royals offer him money, I think he should just be like, you know what? Screw it. Major leagues are not working out for me. And he should follow McBroom into Asia go play for Japan, go play for Korea. I think he'd have a lot of success there uh this this whole kansas city go just like can he decline the contract and just go to the yankees because that short porch and right field with the yankees will turn a lot of his routine fly balls into home runs so i just anything other than staying with the royals i don't i don't see what's in it for ryan o'hearn anymore i guess other than a million bucks which you know i i would also take so i can't blame him for that but, so, yeah.
0: no, he can't just deny the contract. Otherwise, everybody would be a free agent from the jump. So right. he can't say no, which is ironic. Like, how many opportunities have you ever had in your life where somebody's like, hey, here's a million dollars? And you're like, yeah, no thanks. I don't want it. And they're like, no, you're going you're gonna to take it, and you're going to have it, and you're going to like it, and you're going to show up to work every day. Here's a million dollars, and you can't say no. I think it's kind of a funny thing. Um, but anyway, Max, uh, any thoughts on the the Royals? Uh, tendering or non-tendering of, of players just in general?
3: Well, you know, Jeremy mentions him going to Yankee Stadium, having success. I don't think he would because his big issue with the Royals has been kind of pounding the ball into the ground, which, you know, you can't hit it over the fence when you're, you know, hitting grounders to second. And so my thought is, m- you know, maybe they see something in the in the advancement, in the stat cast analytics, and they think they're working with maybe assistant, new assistant hitting coach uh, Keone Doreno. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, maybe he can unlock some more potential from him. Uh, Alec Lewis had a tweet, Alec Lewis of the Athletic had a tweet where he said like, you know, the Royals, (laughs) he's only one of only two first basemen on the roster that have played on an everyday basis, a first base that counts for something, which, you know, a lot of Royals fans are pretty skeptical about that. But I do think there is something where like, a the Royals are pretty loyal to players that are already in the system to a fault. Usually. Um, but also, I think it could be a situation where they want to go into spring training, having Santana and O'Hearn available at first base uh, in case Nick Prado is not ready. And I think Nick Prado will probably start next year in the minors. And Santana is kind of an injury risk at this point. Uh, and then if if it turns out that they don't need O'Hearn, if they are like, wow, Prado's really lighting it up, then they can still cut him in spring training and only be out uh, one sixth of his salary, assuming the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, is the same on that as, as the old one. Um, but I think, you know, I, th- I mentioned, I've talked about the Kila, Kila Kaui situation in 2011, where he be- began the year as the opening day first baseman. Everyone knew he was a stopgap, you know, just a, a place fuller until Eric Hosmer was ready. By May, Hosmer was ready. He was called up and, and Kila was sent on his way. I kind of think that could be all Hearn's role this year or this next year. He's just a placeholder until Prado's up. Prado comes up in May. O'Hearn's kind of designated for assignment or stashed it he still has an option here left they can stash in Omaha's depth but um yeah that's my best guess and why he's still here but I probably would you know it's not gonna be a lot it's gonna be like a million a million five probably that he gets through the arbitration process but I don't he's occupying a a, a roster spot that's probably the more valuable consideration at this point and I don't I don't know if he's really justified it.
1: Can I just say that the last time the Royals suddenly didn't have a first baseman, uh, the last time I could think of when the Royals suddenly didn't have a first baseman was when Jeff King retired in the middle of a season. And then Mike Sweeney happened. So I feel like not having a first baseman isn't necessarily a bad thing. 100
3: Dozier can play first base. I mean, he's played there before. I think he'd probably be okay. He'd be That'd be where you can stash him defensively, I think, without hurting yourself too much. So That is the only really place.
0: It. It, that's that's the thing that gets me is, like, you already have a little bit of a log jam on the infield. Like, not that it's, like, overwhelming, but there's a little bit of a how do you get, you know, Mondesi, Lopez, Wit and Wit on the same infield at the same time and, you know, make room for Prado eventually and pay Hunter Dozier, who you've paid, play Hunter Dozier, who you've paid already, and play Michael A. Taylor, Kyle Isbell, Carlos Santana, who you've paid, Andrew Benintendi, who's getting paid, like you've got all these guys under contract. Like, like this is a great time to let Hunter Dozier play first base, and it's like they, I'm just, I'm worried they're holding on to 2018 as if somehow, like we're gonna magically get back to that. Um, it's kind of what I'm, what I'm worried about. But whatever. Um, Jackson, is there anything left to say about Ryan O'Hearn, or do you have any other thoughts about the rest of the Royals roster?
2: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really that shocked by the move. I just don't really understand, you know, like everyone's already been saying, like where he's going to fit into this team because, you know, first face we have Santana, Prado coming up eventually, Pasquantino coming up, um, who I really like. And then I guess you could try to put him in right field, but then who's going to be in right field? Because you have Dozier, you have Witt, Isabel, who I really like out there. So the only other option would be DH, and you can't have a DH who's hit. Who had 225 last year, 215 in his career – so, I mean, the Royals must just be holding on to hope that um, his last few games uh, over the two years in AAA, how he did it really – he did excellent in those games. So, he must they must be assuming that eventually that will transfer on because I can't imagine any other reason why he'd get so many opportunities when guys like Edward um are just getting tossed around back and forth. And he produced great in AAA, but he just seems to never get a real shot in the majors, one, let, let alone in um, – Brian O'Hearn seems to be getting several.
0: I think this speaks to a, a more broader conversation, a, a broader conversation about the the Royals parading around about how well they treat their players is like at some point, you know, giving guys the benefit of the doubt, giving guys umpteenth chances is is actually hurting the rest of them. Like I. I don't know. I don't I've never been like super like overly critical of the Royals, like parading around, patting themselves on their back. Oh, we treat our players so good. You know, over at Royals Farm Report, we interview guys all the time. You know, I, I decided to sign with the Royals because of the way they treat their players. And I don't I don't doubt that. I don't I don't think that's that's wrong. I also think it's like totally overblown, like what they've done to Richard Lovelady is not treating your players well. That's not taking care of your own guys. So you drafted him. You developed him. You had him get Tommy John surgery to be a part of the team in the future, then you cut him. That's not taking care of your players. That's not being there for them. Right. That's you traded for Edward Olivares to not give him a chance, even if you don't think he's good. That's fine. If you don't think he's good, let him go somewhere else and be bad. Like at some point, you know, blocking guys like this is it's not taking care of your own. And and I and I really have a hard time when people say, oh, we take care of our own. We're going to give guys chances. Well, you're doing that at the at the cost of giving someone else a chance. It's just – it's weird. I, I don't – you know, people are like, oh, they would never game service time. And It's like Brady Singer. It's like, yeah, well, look at like literally everybody else who they just happen to have the extra year of control over. And not that they've ever had any like extreme examples of actually gaming service time, but like how many examples do we really have of them not cheating it either? Like what Brady Singer is, is one. Um, I we're gonna we're gonna get a pretty good pretty good look this spring uh, if if Melendez and Prado and witt jr all come out and are raking in spring training and they all start in Omaha I, I don't ever want to hear about well we would never game service time I don't ever want to hear about it ever again the new CBA um, surely will affect this the spring performances of these guys will will affect us I'm not saying we're there yet I'm just saying we're gonna get a really good look at it this spring because I really think the you know the the padding on the back of of yourself is potentially uh, gonna gonna be a talking point uh, as we get into
1: like opening day in the first couple weeks of the season. Didn't they just to to kind of counter that just a little bit? Unless I'm wrong, I think didn't they call up Eric Hosmer early enough that they didn't get an extra year on him, but he was super two.
0: No, he was.
1: He was super too, so he got he got the extra money, the
0: extra year of arbitration. But the Royals got the seventh year, the seventh quote unquote year of control on him.
3: I think you covered know, wasn't they didn't really gain this. Service. They probably called him up too early, if anything. Um, but you know that's another example. But yeah, I don't, I don't. You know, I think it'll all be moot by next year. I think that service time is going to be. It's something that's on the table right now between negotiations. I think either yeah, they'll they'll come to some. I think I don't think anyone's really happy with the way things are right now, and that may be one of the things that
0: changes with the new labor deal. Yeah, the, the way that it's structured right now really doesn't make any sense. I don't I don't understand how if you're the players, that, like negotiating that you have to get so many days to get that year of service time. It's never really made any sense to me. So I do I hope you're right. I I, I really hope that they do change the fundamental like. Requirements for reaching one year of service time, um, because it is broken. It, it is so broken. When you have, you know, was it was it the Mariners GM or the owner who came out and was like, "Yeah, we're not going to see Kellinick and we're not going to see Rodriguez." He's our close president, president, I
3: think.
0: Yeah. yeah, It's like, what? How do you know? Like, why? Why do you know this? I like, guess not how that's supposed to work. So, um, another thing that I hope they come up with in the CBA is some kind of of agreed revenue sharing not revenue sharing i'm sorry um is not revenue sharing between the teams but of like between the teams and their players like the NFL and the NBA both have it's really close to 50% of league revenue will be given to the players and i don't know the MLB players even know what league revenue is much less have the ability to split it so like how do we come up with a with a system where the players can, can be told, here's the revenue. Here's exactly how much money will be given back to the players. And then at that point, I think you have to have some kind of league minimum salary. I'm not going to say it has to be $90 million. I even feel like that's high. But like, I feel like we can all agree to $80 million. I don't know of a single club who, if you look at it objectively, couldn't put $80 million on the field every single season.
1: You're talking about like
3: a payroll minimum? Yes. Yeah. So so I think the players union has got to look at the books every once in a while when they have labor negotiations, they have resisted a split like you're talking about because that's the first step towards a salary cap in their mind. So the the NBA and NFL obviously already have that salary cap. They don't want uh, any kind of tie between salaries and overall revenues. Um, Now that that is kind of short-sighted. I mean, I think some would argue, I, I think I've I'm coming around that viewpoint in that there effectively is a salary cap in baseball. It's the luxury tax threshold, and many teams aren't willing to go over that. And so, if you're going to have a maximum, I think you're right. They're probably they should negotiate a minimum. Uh, there are issues with with doing that in that. Yeah, you can tie it to revenues. Player uh, owners are getting pretty good at hiding revenues, especially with owning stakes and, and um, regional sports networks. They're doing developments around ballparks, which add revenue, but is not non-baseball revenue. So um, it gets a little tricky, but um, I don't disagree that that could be a way to kind of get closer to competitive parity, also get players a fair fair cut, but also make sure that teams are not tanking and being like the, the pirates who have like a $30 million payroll right now. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that gets... Um, take
1: care of in the labor and labor talks. And this is, this is where I come in and say, no, we do need revenue sharing because if you're going to have a salary cap and it's going to be tied to the league profits, then, then, and you're going to have a salary floor. If your salary floor is going to be meaningful, then it, it needs to be, everybody needs to be equal. You're talking about, well, 90 might be too high. Okay. Well, 90 is nothing to the Yankees. It's nothing to the Dodgers. It's nothing to the Cubs. And that's a problem. If it's, if it's too high for some teams and it's nothing to others, then the competitive balance isn't there and the, the reasons for spending aren't there and a salary cap and a salary floor start to not make a ton of sense. So I, I actually wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, but I think that baseball needs to acknowledge that like, yeah, the Yankees bring in more money by themselves than the Royals do, but the Yankees don't bring in any money if they don't got anybody to play. And so they need to accept that the Royals contribute to their profits and, and we need that the league as a whole is what makes this whole thing work. And they need to share revenues at least to the degree that everybody can, everybody spends roughly a roughly similar amount on, on payroll. That's how you're going to get competitive uh, salaries. That's how you're going to get competitive teams and, and reduce reasons for tanking.
0: It's a really weird line. Like I, the, the principal in me, not like, you know, school principal, but like the, the, my, the principled part of me is like torn between let teams make their own money and spend their own money. And I, you know, like what is fair? Like,
1: what. I don't know. I'm, I am torn on the issue. and no, That's I, and what I'm I, saying. The teams don't make their own money. The Yankees make no money without the other teams. It takes all of them. And I, I mean, it's, if, the, if it was the Yankees and like three other teams, they still don't make any money because who wants to watch the same four teams play each other over and over again, right? It takes the whole league. So to a degree, <laughs> they make their own money, but also to a degree, they really don't. And the other leagues have all acknowledged that the NBA, the, uh, the NFL, I think hockey also has a similar setup um, that they're all in this together. And until MLB is willing to admit that they really are all in this together, it's going to be a problem.
0: I do have and an just,
1: issue like, like fundamentally with
0: the idea that potentially, and I, and again, I'm, it's not like I've ever seen the Royals books, maybe the Royals, past few owners are making cash hand over fist and they're just refusing to spend it. But in a league where, you know, the same city, the same market can sign Patrick Mahomes to the biggest contract in NFL history. And the Royals effectively have no shot at signing Bobby Witt Jr. When he becomes a free agent at, at present, the way we've seen the Royals operate in the past, the Royals are going to get six, seven years, Bobby Witt Jr. And then he is gone. Right. I mean, that's that is exactly what has been the case for the Royals year in and year out since I can remember. I'm 27 years old. I can't remember it being any different. I can't ever remember the Royals having a true superstar. I mean, like outside of Salvi, but there were some, there were some kind of um, different circumstances with him with the first couple of contracts that he signed, kind of putting him in a hole. Like Eric Hosmer learns O'Kane. I was shocked that the Royals offered Hosmer 100 million dollars, not because of the player, just the fact they were going to offer anyone 100 million dollars. It didn't seem like they were ever in the running for Lorenzo Cain. Um, it's just I don't know. Maybe maybe I should expect the Royals to do that anyway. I've never, but I've never seen the books. I don't know how you know the Chiefs can. It, it is frustrating to see the Chiefs be able to do it and know the Royals effectively have no shot.
2: I do think a salary floor would be the. Um, first step in the right direction though because I don't know if the MLB will ever be able to get um, as equal of a playing field in terms of payroll as you know like the NBA and NFL because it's just the difference between like a team like the Orioles what they're paying players and the Yankees it's just unbelievable and I think if you can just raise the floor up so the Orioles are forced to and other teams like the Orioles will be forced to um, just pay, pay their players more and actually like put in more of an effort, that would bring in some more balance. I, I just don't know. I think the floor would be better than the cap right now because it would be, it'd be hard to cap a team like the Yankees, the Dodgers, when, I mean, you, we'd all assume they'd be bringing in much more revenue than, a, than the swan market teams would.
1: Well, and like well, Max said, they're already capped. They It's not called a cap, but that's how they treat it. Yeah.
3: The fact that the Twins and Rays each committed over $100 million to players, the Twins with Byron Buxton – and Wander Franco, the Rays signing Wander Franco, and you're right, the Royals did offer Eric Hosmer of 100 million dollars. That suggests to me that smaller market teams can retain some of these players or sign players to 100 million dollar contracts. Now maybe they can't sign, you know, a 330 million dollar contract like Corey Seager got, but there is money. There's more money that they, they can spend that they're not necessarily spending, uh, and they, you know, they can't sign every player maybe. Uh, and they certainly can't, spend, you know, keep up with the Yankees, and Dodgers. I'm not saying there's not a problem, but I do think some of the smaller teams could probably spend more. And look, David Glass had yeah, a payroll up to what 130 million dollars at the at the height of the Royals' um, spending. So it was more
0: like I think he got all the way to
3: 150
0: in the middle of 20. Yeah, I think
3: it was Yeah, I think you're right. So you know, when they're in that contention window, I think they will be willing to spend. And for certain players, maybe you know, Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe one of those special players are willing to kind of go ab- above and beyond for.
0: I I saw someone the other day, and I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on this. How would you feel about incentivizing payroll, maybe not overall payroll, but like the number of players making X on your team with draft pick compensation? So the Rangers, instead of – okay, so like the qualifying offer is literally the opposite of this. So let's say the Rangers go out and give Corey Seager 10 years, $325 million. And the, and major league baseball goes, okay, here's an extra second round comp pick. Like, thanks for paying our players. The team wins, the players win, the owners win because they got more good players. Like who doesn't win in that scenario? Maybe, maybe there is a loser that I'm not aware of, but the more people that are getting paid, the more teams that are paying players, like imagine being the Royals, a small market team, you have to build through the draft, right? Okay. Well now we're incentivized. To give Nicky Lopez an extension this year, because if we if we get this payer play, they're going to give us an extra second round pick. Yeah, absolutely, we'll pay this guy. And you could do it the same way that you give comp picks now. You the same way you give comp picks now is you put the teams in their respective markets. And the Royals, when you lose a player, get a comp uh, round A pick. Whereas like the Yankees, we get a comp round B pick. So the Royals, if you give a player fifty million dollars. It's a comp round B pick. If the Yankees give that same player fifty, it's a comp round C pick. Or whatever, right? So, I heard somebody throw that out there the other day, and I was like, I I like this. I like the idea of that. I don't know who loses in that situation. The owners.
3: <laughs> I mean, they're gonna have to. That you're making uh, more of a market for the players to pay the players. And that's going to drive the prices up. I mean, draft pick compensation was originally designed to be a drag on free agency. Originally, when free agency started, you had to actually give up a player in your minor league system to sign a free agent. Uh, They eventually scrapped that after a couple of years. But the whole the whole system was set up to depress free agent salaries. And so by incentivizing it, you're just. You know, goosing the system really and so I, I think that's why owners will probably be against it but it's an interesting idea I like I like kind of the, the thought of of getting around tanking by making it you know making that part of the rebuild signing players and investing in players
1: uh, everything we've pretty much talked about is is anti-owner at this point salary floor is anti-owner uh, s- uh revenue sharing is anti-owner uh, added draft picks for signing guys is anti-owner. So basically basically, what we're left with is the owners are killing baseball. That's that's my takeaway for this conversation.
0: <laughs> but they're not like, I I, I know everybody, you know, I, I, I have seen it several times on Twitter. Baseball is dying. They've got to do something to save the sport. And then like the next tweet is major league owners have given out $1.1 billion in contracts the last five hours. It's like, I don't know that baseball is like dying. I don't like, I think baseball is actually thriving, but I think the owners love the baseball is dying narrative. I think they love it. I think they love it because they can cry poor. They can cry. Well, is was me. They can do all these things and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt them in any way because they know that it's not dying. They know what they're doing is working. And even if it's not growing as fast as it could, it's still growing. Like they are still making, I think generally, Money hand over fist, which is why you said the, the Rays are able to give out a hundred million dollar contract guaranteed. Um, you know, even if the Rays, like Max, I think you said it exactly, even if they can't compete for Seeger, like they're competing and giving their own guys the money, which is why, again, I don't want to say the Royals for sure can be giving out this money. Never seen the books, I don't know, but it really feels like we're getting to a point where it's, it's got to be getting closer. And if it's not actually getting closer, then it needs to be getting closer.
1: Let me, let me rephrase that from instead of owners are killing baseball to owners are making baseball less fun. That might
0: be. At least they haven't in, implemented any taunting penalties yet.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, this has been fun. I mean, after like, like two or three off seasons that have been like just a slow burn, this, this, this like self-imposed lockout deadline has created a – like the busiest week in, you know, in my recent memory. And I don't know, I think it's kind of interesting to see on the one hand, owners saying like, well, we need to open up the labor agreement or we'll rework it. Cause you know, we're the, the systems isn't working and yet they they're handing out these large contracts. I don't know. Uh, Alex, what do you think about um, some of these big contracts we're saying out there?
0: I, okay. So I put out uh, a poll on Twitter about basically which, which contracts of the Royals be most which as a Royals fan, which would you be most comfortable giving out? Even amongst the massive contracts, there are still some steals on the market, in my opinion. Guys that are getting really good deals that I thought would get more money um, in more years or, or or one of the two. Um but I think I think I projected Corey Seeger. I think I said he's gonna get I said he's gonna go to the Yankees, but I think I said he was gonna get what, like three and ten and three twenty. Um, I thought Correa would get ten in about three twenty or actually I think I think I said Seager twelve and three twenty and maybe Correa ten and three twenty or something like that. But I don't I, I mean this is that's the value of having a player like Corey Seager. I mean, Corey Seager's top ten player in baseball. He's an incredible shortstop. He's an incredible hitter when he's healthy. Like the health is gonna be, you know, the big the big thing for him. Uh but he is. I mean, he is one of the top 10 players in baseball. In my mind, he's incredible. And I think anytime you can get a player like that, like I would have, if the Rangers would have come out and said, we're going to give him, you know, 12 years and 400 million, I think that would be uh, semi like borderline ridiculous. But like, that's what, if that's what you got to pay to get a thoroughbred at shortstop. I mean, that's, it's the going rate. I mean, we saw Trout and Harper get insane amounts of money. Uh, Tatis Jr. got insane amounts of money. I mean, that's the going rate for having a superstar in the, as a fixture in your lineup for the next ten years, and I don't think there's, it makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, I do like how the, um, you know, the self-imposed lockout coming up kind of made this free agency feel a lot like the NBA free agency, where it's two the last two days have just been nonstop. Check your phone one minute, hundred million dollar deal. You check your phone the next minute, three hundred million dollars. Just it made things a lot more exciting and. It's great right now but it's going to be bad if the if there really is a lockout this long and and there's just a, a lot of time where nothing's going on really.
0: I will say I think the one thing that the the thing that's comforted me most about the idea of a lockout is Max shared that on Twitter that there's never been a, lock, a game missed because of a lockout. There's been games missed for a strike, but at least in the last like 50 years or whatever that was Max, there's never been a major league baseball game missed because of a lockout. Is that right?
3: Yeah, just the, the, the distinction being that, like a strike is when the players walk out um, and and have the leverage because it's in the middle of the season. Usually, a lockout meaning the owners have frozen out the players uh, from working. So when this happens, which by the time you're this podcast, it will effectively have a lockout. Players can't use facilities; they can't. They're just really not allowed to use any major league baseball uh, uh, facilities. And there's not not gonna be any transactions. So this will be an owner-imposed work stoppage. But you're right; usually that happens. Early in the off season, um, and so that gives them enough. Usually, that gives them enough time to neg- negotiate a new labor deal. Now, I'm not under any illusions that this is going to happen fast. I mean, I think they're going to wait till the, you know, 11th hour. Probably spring training. You know, when spring training is scheduled to start, that's probably when you'll see some sort of deal work out. That's you know when owners start to lose money because spring training games are a good source of revenue, and you don't have to pay players in spring training. So uh, there'll be a little more incentivized to get a deal done then.
1: And as I I can't remember where I heard this, but I've always found it to be true. Things get done when they need to get done. So in December, you don't have to have a deal done. Nobody's doing anything anyway. All the deals have been signed apparently. Um, But, uh, you know, like you said, in spring training, you need a deal now. It needs to get done. So now it'll get done.
0: There was an old, I had a econ professor in college. And I can't remember exactly his quote, but he was talking about leverage in business. And he said, leverage comes on the table with the money. It's like, as soon as the money gets put on the table, your leverage goes with it. And if you don't have it, if you don't have the ace in the hole, it will be very apparent when the chips are down. And if you do, it'll be very apparent when the chips are down. I can't remember exactly how he put that, but basically is whoever's got the leverage, whoever's got the best negotiation the best argument the best whatever when the money starts to be lost like max was saying in spring training we'll see exactly where everybody's leverage is where everybody's negotiating points are and wherever they're not willing to cross that border um, where that line is when the money's on the table so um, I'm not exactly worried we're gonna miss any big league games it doesn't sound like you guys are overly concerned about it either excuse me but it is gonna make for a slow off season I you know, don't with football and basketball. I don't really pay a ton of attention to the off season outside of hey, look, the Royals and everybody else signed some guys, traded some guys, or they didn't. And then when spring training rolls around, I'm like, okay, so who's where? Oh, that's right, Corey Seager plays for the Rangers now. So I always come back to things in like February. Um, but it is going to make for a slow off season, and hopefully, the combination of the lockout and all the, oh, the players and the owners—they're just so greedy. Hopefully it doesn't turn fans away because it does feel like sometimes people get carried away with like like labor negotiations, just like you would in your job if, if your boss came to you and asked you to do something and you're like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. He's like, OK, well, then you don't get to work here anymore. And if it was ridiculous enough, you wouldn't work there. And if it really wasn't that bad, you just go do it and get back to your job. So anyway, we're going to take a break on the other side of the break. We'll talk some Royal specific stuff outside of the CBA and we will be right back. All right, so I want to talk about the Royals' inactivity in free agency. They did sign Taylor Clark to a deal tonight. I don't know if it's a minor league deal, major league deal. They didn't sign – Major Jacob league Jones. deal. it is a major league deal? Yeah, almost a so million
3: dollars,
0: $950,000. So he got the final 40-man roster spot.
3: I believe so. I, I guess I don't know for sure, but it sounded like it was – I think John Heyman kind of worded it, so it was a major league deal. Yeah, okay, well, good for him.
0: Yeah. So between Taylor Clark and Jacoby Jones, the Royals haven't done nothing, but they have done – as little as you can do and still not do anything. So I earlier in the off season was begging them to sign Starling Marte. Starling Marte only got four for 78. And I say only four, he's 32, 33. So four is about right, but he only got 78 million in those four years from the Mets. I would have given them that in a heartbeat. I would have gone four for 80 and said, how about this? Like, let's, I'm, we'll go to, we'll go all the way to $20 million a year. I probably would have gone like three and 75, you can almost get him the same AAV and not have to, you know, have him for the fourth year. I don't understand why Starling Marte didn't get very much money. Third most F WAR among MLB outfielders since he came into the league. I mean, he's been incredible ever since he came in. I don't really understand the lack of a market for him, but whatever. I was all over at the beginning of the off season. I really wanted the Royals to sign Starling Marte. I had the beat writers on uh, Jeremy and I did. It was Alec Lewis. Uh, Lynn worthy and Annie Rogers. And I said that, and they, and they kind of laughed at me and I, and I get it. I, it's a little facetious, but like, I'm serious. I want them to go do that. I think it's the perfect time for it. Like even if Starling Marte isn't helping you win the play, make the playoffs this year, he's not going to be a free agent again next year. You can't not sign him for 2022, but have him for 23 and 24, the outfield, you know, center field free agents coming up or, are. are okay, but they're not Starling Marte. So I'm like, go get him now, have him for your playoff runs until you can develop one of your own because you don't have anything like that. And so when I said that, I was not met with very many people who agreed with me. I didn't feel like I felt like the majority of people who commented on Twitter, who commented on our articles, who replied to the podcast in some capacity were like, yeah, this isn't the time. This isn't the off season. This isn't the right time. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. I'm in the minority here. Today, Alec Lewis writes an article about why the Royals are standing patent-free agency, and people lit him up on Twitter. I felt bad for Alec. Like, Alec is just doing his job, what the people tell him to write, and he writes it, and he writes it really well. And He got lit up like a Christmas tree for writing it. And I was like, man, where were you guys when I was trying to tell people to go sign Starling Marte? I felt like I was in the minority. I felt like nobody was with me. And now all of a sudden the Royals don't sign anybody and we're upset. Like, I don't know where the disconnect between these two different groups of people, uh, where, where it was the whole time, but I was floored to see people who were like pissed off that we weren't signing people because from every interaction I've had with Royals fans, it was like, yeah, not this year, wait one more year. So I'm curious what you guys think about the Royals inactivity during free agency and Jackson, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, the Royals haven't done much. Are you okay with it? Are you mad? Are you glad? Like, what are we, how are we feeling about the Royals inactivity?
2: Well, I mean, I don't really think that we'll be shooting for the playoffs this year. I think it, it seems to me that they want to ride out all the young arms a lot more and to see what we have for another year, bring up all the prospects, you know, Bobby Witt, uh, Vinny, hopefully Nick Prado, MJ Melendez. And just see where that goes. And they're probably hoping for a few more wins and it seemed a little more competitive. But I'm not really that shocked. I wish they'd go after another reliever like they – it seemed like they're going to. And, you know, that's not named Taylor Clark. And, um, you know, maybe show a little more. I I wrote an article about maybe them considering um, signing one starting pitcher like a veteran. And I've heard a lot of uh, other fans talk about bringing Granky back, which – I mean, yeah, he's a great veteran. He used to be here, but I don't know if that'd be the veteran that you'd want that would um, be a leader for the young starting pitchers. Um, But yeah, it's a little disappointing, but it's not really that shocking that the moves that they've made so far um, Jacoby Jones and Taylor Clark is all that's happened.
0: Jeremy, I'm not, I, I guess I should say, I'm not surprised that the Royals haven't done anything. I'm surprised more at the reaction that other people have had. So Uh, Jeremy, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I know you're big, um, you know, on spending, but this year specifically, are you, are you, are you glad the Royals haven't spent any money or do you, do you think they should be like, this is the time to act?
1: I, I have been a Royals fan since 1998. And there has not been a year where I didn't think the Royals should spend more money. Um, it's not my money and I want a good team. So I always root for spending more money. Uh, this off season included, I wrote an article, uh, I think it's September where I kind of laid out my plan for how the Royals would compete for a playoff spot. And it included, uh, you know, spending some money and I tried to keep it reasonable so, you know, I didn't go, I, if I had my way, the Royals wouldn't have just signed Starling Marte. They'd have signed Marte. They'd have signed Scherzer. Uh, you know, make a good run after uh, after Seager. Why not? Uh, find room for these guys if they're good enough. Uh, but I, like you said, I'm not surprised they're not spending. I am. I'm actually a little surprised they're not spending because last year they did. They did go out and get some guys. Now they didn't go out and get a Corey Seager or a, a Max Scherzer or a Sterling Marte, but they went out and they got uh, Mike minor. They got Carlos Santana. You know, these were, these were not nobodies. These were not Taylor Clark's that they went out there and got. Um, and so with everybody else, this offseason acting like money's about to go out of style and spending every last penny to improve the roster suddenly. And, and don't think I haven't noticed that, and been trying to figure out why the heck they're they're willing to spend the money just because there's a deadline for uh, is it is it FOMO? Are they just like I can't I'm not going to be able to spend money in December, so I better spend it now. I don't know, but the with everybody else spending money, when the Royals last year were the top spender uh, for a while, I, I can't remember how long that lasted, but for a while they spent more they had spent more money in free agency than anyone, and then this year they come out and they're like we're not going to spend any money. We won't even, we won't even spend a whole million dollars on the reliever. It's going to be 950 K. And I, I, so I'm not super surprised. They're not spending, but I'm a little surprised. I think I saw somewhere that they were one of three teams that hadn't signed a free agent um, other uh, until Taylor Clark. So that they're, they're in the very strong minority right now. Uh, as far as spending goes and i guess they're going to stay that way for a while
3: yeah and i I wrote i guess we're all pimping our articles today i also wrote an (laughs) article today uh, i wrote an article today actually um kind of reacting a little bit to to Alex's uh comments and also the royals lack of inactivity and i think you know like there's there's a wide space between signing starling Marte level of free agents and signing taylor clark level of free agents and i think I think most Royals fans just want to see somewhere in the middle, kind of what they did last year, like Mike Minor and Carlos Santana. I think most fans were pretty supportive of those deals. They liked the Andrew Benintendi trade. I think Royals fans just want to see more of that. And I, I don't think, you know, you can argue that the Minor and Santana deals haven't worked out great. I think they worked out okay. Um, but um, I think they just want to see a little more activity for a team that won only 74 games last year was bottom three and runs scored bottom five and runs allowed. Could use some more bullpen depth, use some more pitching depth. Um, and, but in fairness to the Royals, you know, like everyone's rushing out to the store on black Friday, buying Corey Seager, Javier Baez. Um, doesn't mean that's the best time to buy. I mean, like, you know, I think we've did Moore has rushed down and gotten free agents before, and he's been pilloried by the fan base, but like it, they've said like, Oh, why did he, why Did he spend so much early on and set the market? He could have waited till February and gotten a better deal. And then when he waits till February to make a deal, people are like, Oh, why is he waiting so long? You know, it's like, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, you know, it usually teams don't make moves till December anyway. It got accelerated a little bit because the, the labor uh, lockout. Um, so, the Royal of Time, I think, w- when things resume, hopefully they resume soon. But and there may be a feeding frenzy at that point. I don't know what the market's going to look like at that point. We may have different rules. But I think they will be they – they definitely need some more relievers. They, I think they do have a starting pitcher on their you – know, in their bullseye somewhere. Um, so I think you will see moves. But, but it is – You know, I think both fans get a little antsy saying everyone else make moves except for us.
0: I do want to come back to the Starling Marte thing really quick because you, you said something about the Starling Marte level of like free agent. And I was thinking about when you said that, my brain immediately went to like, okay, Marte got four for 78. He basically got the Alex Gordon deal and they've been very similar players like in their career. Marte has been a little more consistent offensively. Gordon was better defensively, but Marte plays center field. So while he's not quite as good, he's in a more premium position. And I was looking at their numbers. Marte has one and a half less war than Gordon did in his entire career. So you would expect Marte to surpass that. Um, but he basically got the Alex Gordon deal, right? Didn't Gordon get four for 72? Something like that's that. Right. So he got an extra that's $6 like million that. or something. So I don't know. I was looking at that today and I thought, I was like, man, if you're the role, anyway, I don't want to talk about stoning Marte anymore. He's gone. It's not, a thing. It's not
3: happening. <laughs> but I, but I mean, like the, that age, I, I wonder if the age kind of scared, scared him off. I mean, I think, cause I think the trend in baseball is to go for younger fridges. I think that's probably why Marte probably didn't get more because you're right. He's been a pretty, he's been a really good player the last couple of years, but um, you know, he's what 32, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so he's going to be 33, 34, 35, 36 for this contract. And that's, you know, you could probably, you probably say that the last year or two of that contract is probably not going to be very good, uh, either way. So I, I, I can understand why the Royals maybe are want to stick. I, I, if I ran a small market team, I'd probably stick more to the, you know, one, two year deals, a big one, two year, one or two year deal for, for players at that, of that age. Um, so I, I kind of get that a little bit.
0: I guess I'm I guess I'm looking at it and from a sense of it, i I don't know what their plan is in center field. Like I I know they're gonna run um Michael A. Taylor back out there again this year, but like what what's the plan after that? Like what's the plan in center field after we have Michael A. Taylor out there again the next year? I'm looking at um or I'm trying to look anyway at I know SpotRack has um You know free agent listings, and right now they've got an ad over what I'm trying to read. So if I can pull this up, I will. Um, But like, I don't know. The last time I looked at center field prospects, oh my god, they're doing again. Last time I looked at center field prospects, I wasn't overly impressed. Not prospects, I'm sorry, free agents. I wasn't overly impressed with what was becoming available in the next couple of years. And it's like I, like, looking at center field, it's not a position you can just say oh, you know what, like, yeah, we're going to be fine paying Starling, or I'm sorry, uh, Michael A. Taylor to play out there. So, like, if you look at, you know, next year's free agent class, you have Shogo Akiyama, Jackie Bradley Jr., Lorenzo Cain. Um, I don't believe Kiki Hernandez is still a free agent after next year. Travis Jankowski, Kevin Kiermaier has a club option. Ketel Marte isn't getting let out of that option. Tyler Naquin and Brandon Nimmo. It's like... There's not a free agent again next year, so it's like, what are you, what are you doing? We can't not have a player in center field, and they don't have anybody really in their farm system that's even close to being ready for next year. So, my issue with the Starling Marte thing, and again, not just Starling Marte, but the not prioritizing center field is you not just don't have a center fielder in 2022, you don't have one in 2023 either at the moment, and I don't know unless you, you're going to trade a bunch of prospect capital, I don't know where else you're going to get a center fielder. Well, well you, that, that's the it right there.
3: I mean, like, so, so Alec Lewis is writing about the, what does Tampa Bay do? They're, they've been transactional, right? Look at their outfield. Randy Orozarena. They, they traded away a first-round pick, top 100 pitching prospect and Matthew Liberatore uh, to get Orozarena, a, a trade that was kind of criticized at the time. People didn't know what they were doing. Uh, Manny Margot was acquired from, I think, the Padres for uh, reliever, Emilia Pagan, I think. Uh, you know uh, Brett Phillips, they got him for the Royals for Lucius Fox. Um, I think the Royals probably should be a little more active in the trade market. And if that means giving up uh, prospect capital, um, you know, sometimes that's what you do because prospects, we know, don't pan out all the time. Um, I think they probably should have entertained trading Scott Barlow as good as he is uh, and as good as much as they need bullpen depth because he's pretty valuable and could probably net you a decent, uh, you know, major league ready outfielder probably. So, uh, I, th- I think they should probably be, you know, the free agent market's great, but but you're right, you know, there's not, there's not a lot out there. It's a thin, thin market. So where do you turn to? You got to look at the fr- trade market, and I think that maybe they should be a little more transactional on that front.
2: Well, uh, as an internal option, how would you guys feel about uh, the end of the year with Kyle Isbell in center field? I thought he did pretty well out there. I was hoping that – well, I was assuming they were going to let Taylor walk and that uh, Isbell would get a lot more reps this year. Hopefully they can platoon him maybe just to try it out. I mean, what, can they, what do they lose from – giving him more, uh, more innings out there.
0: I agree. I also think that the Roy- there's no way the Royals give Taylor two years and $9 million if the plan is Isbell in center field. So, like, I don't necessarily hate Kyle Isbell out there. I think he'd probably be fine. Not good, but fine. Um, I just think we've, we've, we've killed the idea he's going to be your answer in center field if you felt like you needed to give Taylor $9 million while you had Isbell in the wing.
1: See, I just don't think $9 million over two years guarantees you anything that I mean, you can pay a backup four and a half million annual average value and not feel bad about that at all, especially if it's a backup that is really good defensively and can and can do some pinch running for you. Like, it's, it's not like he would have no value on the bench, you could easily put him stick him on the bench and then pinch run him in the late innings and put him in as a defensive replacement in center field. And not feel like you've overpaid at four and a half million. So,
0: I don't disagree with the with the concept of that. My question is when have we ever seen the Royals do that? They had in 2017, I think 2017, they had the best in the business at that. They had the best bench outfielder in baseball, and they traded him for Nate Carnes when it was time to pay him. Like, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Jeremy. I just disagree with the fact that the Royals Will do that. When have the Royals ever given anybody nine million with the intention of them being a backup? I don't. The Royals that's not that's not their memo. Like in my in my mind, the Royals gave him nine million. He is going to start, and especially on opening day, he's going to start out there until he physically can't do it anymore at the level he's doing it, which is already isn't very good. Is is bad offensively. Um, so, like I agree with what you're saying. On every other baseball team in the in the league. The Royals have never done that. I, I I can't think of an example of them doing that. So I don't know what that's, that's know, so. fair.
1: The only thing I'll say is they have a new owner and a new GM, maybe probably not, but maybe things will be different this time. I, I think that's what we, we, we keep saying to ourselves whenever we watch the Royals is maybe things will be different this time and they'll win some baseball games, right? I think he's
3: probably going to serve as a hedge. I think he's going to be the starting center fielder next year to start the year. And they may ease Isbell in and he can be, and they can kind of split time or, so, you know, uh, you know, so conveniently they hit both hit from different sides of the plate and it can be kind of a trans transition thing. And look, in fairness, Taylor was a, what two in player last year. Yeah. He can't hit, but he can pick it. I mean, he's a gold Glover out there, uh, which is what they're looking for on a team that could hit more around him he'd be a terrific starting center fielder. I think, you know, if if Hunter Dozier was hitting the way he should, you know, they think he should hit. If Adeberto Modesty was healthy, if this is a lineup that was like closer to average, I don't think you'd mind Taylor starting center field at all.
1: Yeah. If he's the number nine hitter, then I think that's okay. And deservedly the number nine hitter. Uh, The biggest problem, I think we've discussed this before even, is that this year he was the number five hitter, the number six hitter. That doesn't work. (laughs) But if he's if he's your number nine hitter and everybody else is doing their job, then well, he's a def- great defender at a premium position, and if he gets on, he can run. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, I I, I look at
0: you know a piece like that, and you're you're right on a on a team that was like, like the Yankees this year probably would have killed if Michael A. Taylor because they they could hit for everything, and then their defense you know, let them down in a, in a lot of ways. Um but the Royals aren't there. And the the best player at the best value played that position on the free agent market and it was interesting to me the way they ended up going there. Um I want to get to some final thoughts here. Really quick. I have I have a thought about um the young pitching that that came across yesterday while I was I was doing uh, over at Royals Farm Report um evaluating windows of the teams at the AL Central. How does everything line up? And the Royals have a ton of young arms. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, I don't know that the starters in the 2024 rotation are even in the big leagues yet. Like, we've seen a pretty deep young wave of young starting pitching prospects come to the big leagues. And I don't know how many of them will still be starting by the time Alec Marsh and Jonathan Boland and Asa Lacey get here. Like, you could still have – a majority of your playoff rotation that is still in the minor leagues that is still developing that is still waiting in the wings while your singers boobiches, and coars excuse me of the world um are still are, are already here so i was thinking about that the other day the royals have created themselves a ton of good pitching depth which is outstanding they have totally turned a corner in that regard from the last hell even the last three years four years so Good on them. I can't wait to see more of this depth show up because there is a ton of talent still on the farm that we haven't even gotten to see yet. Jeremy, you got any final thoughts? Uh,
1: Final thoughts, he asks me as I stall for time, trying to come up with some final thoughts. Uh, The lockout thing is is, uh, I don't expect it to cost – uh baseball any games really i don't expect it i i expect it to last a little bit but um as we've all kind of implied i don't think it'll go into the spring training uh so hopefully people won't be too freaked out about that uh and i hope we get a good labor deal out of it that everybody's happy with um so that we can move forward and, and baseball can continue to try and improve
0: jackson any final thoughts
2: Uh, I mean, really, I'm just hoping that um, front office can show a little more of what they were talking about, go after at least one, you know, um, more known and very quality bullpen arm and maybe a starting pitcher just to give the fans something so it doesn't seem like we're just running it back again, shooting for 74 wins every year. (laughs) But besides that, uh, I don't have much else. Max,
0: final thoughts?
3: Well, I was just thinking (laughs) we just had a pandemic where we were like, struggling to think of things to write about when there was no baseball over the summer now we have a a lockdown where there's going to be like no news for a month two months three months we don't know uh so i'm kind of dreading that trying to think of like things we're going to write about on the Man. side and talk about i'm sure we'll find something well, uh guys to... can maybe, jeremy can write about baseball movies again. <laughs> uh, as join me fan, on the
1: dark side <laughs>
3: yeah. uh, as a royals fan i would just say when you're watching labor negotiations i guess the one thing you should be rooting for is changing service time, because I think if they get rid of service time as a, as a way of determining free agency, or at least some sort of fix the, the, the greater odds, Bobby Wood Jr. Starts next year opening day on the Royals roster, like he probably should for baseball reasons. And probably the sooner also you'll see Nick Prado and MJ Melendez as well. Maybe not on opening day, but, but pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, and hopefully there's ways uh, to incentivize keeping, you know, keeping those kind of players in Kansas city long-term because I think we all, want to see them in Kansas City for a very long time and see them successful.
0: Agreed on all fronts. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, we'll do this again soon. Well, I say we'll, we will, I don't know what we're going to talk about, like what Max was saying, but uh, <laughs> we'll come up with something exciting you know, labor law talk. We did a really, yeah. I, I really like that draft episode we did. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah, and was we fun. can find a new way to finagle that and, uh, into something else. So um, thank you all for listening very much. We'll we'll try to keep you entertained as the off season rolls through a lockout. Um, we'll do our best. If you have any questions, feel free to submit them in the comments section under this article on RoyalsReview.com. We'll get to the comments. We'll we'll pin some questions and see if we can't circle back to them here in a couple of weeks. Until then, I appreciate you all for listening. We'll see you all again very soon.